He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. One really interesting thing that I think is mentioned in this book is a research about judges. So it's called decision-making fatigue. So, yeah. so basically what the idea is, if you're taking too many decisions in a short succession of time, you're going to be super tired. And, and then at some point you're just going to say, yeah, okay, fine, because you're tired of making that decision. So they researched this with judges somewhere in the States. And when they basically sit there in the early morning, every prisoner that would appear in front of them in the morning would never, ever get parole. But <laughs> like the closer and closer that you get to lunch, the more tired mm-hmm. the judges are and the more the parole they give. And then they go to lunch, they come back, they have reset their energy and nobody's getting parole. And then it goes up again. Mm. And uh, it's super interesting. So it turns out that you're, you're basically more willing to take hard decisions in the morning or right after lunch. And we did, here's the link with the, re- with the upselling part. So we did a research some time ago looking at when is the best <laughs> time of the day to upsell. And it turns out that business guests has the highest conversion rate in the morning. And okay. conversely, le- leisure guests has, it, has the co- highest conversion rate in the afternoon. So that, that's, that's a really interesting one in terms of time of day of upselling. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live, and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast. Now, let's begin. What's up, Slick Talkers? I hope you enjoy this episode. And this episode was so fun for me because Eric and I had such a fun conversation about the pretty much the mindset of upselling when it comes to your hotel and making extra revenue outside of just the nightly rate. And so how can you use this to get in-stay revenue, pre-stay revenue, and even post-stay? It's super fascinating. I think Eric and I had a little too much fun going into some of the the mindset stuff, but overall really great episode and I hope you guys enjoy it. If you are going to be at High Tech in Orlando, June 27th through the 30th, I would love to see you there. Hospitality.fm, my podcast network, has partnered up with UTIP and we're going to be at booth 2007, that's 2007, and we're going to be doing live interviews, a couple money giveaways, and a bunch of other exciting things. So please join us at booth number 2007 at high tech in Orlando. And if you are wanting to connect, go ahead and grab the link in the show notes for my LinkedIn and we'll get together and make sure we have some time to chat. Now back to the episode. 
Is technology considered overwhelming for you, or do you feel like it's just so difficult to keep up with the latest hardware and software technology? With so many different products, it can be hard to manage pricing, bookings, guest communication, accounting, channel management, and the list just goes on. Journey is making complicated technology accessible for short-term rental owners and operators alike. Journey has complete end-to-end products and a unified platform available for any stage of your business within hospitality. So if you book a demo and sign up for Journey in any of their products, you'll receive 10 free smart locks for your property. Go to journey.com, that's J-U-R-N-Y.com to book a demo and select Hospitality FM or Slick Talk from the drop-down menu. We love partnering with Journey and this is a killer offer that you can't refuse so with that being said back to the episode and thank you for listening all right everybody welcome back to another episode of slick talk the hospitality podcast i'm your host will slickers and today i am joined by eric who's the co-founder of oki eric my friend it's super good to have you on the show and welcome to the podcast Thanks a lot, my friend. Awesome to be here. And I, I have these like a bass, a bass boosting web headphones. Holy shit, man. That was an awesome introduction. <laughs> well, I was going to say, like that's why I, like, I was going to say my favorite part of the podcast is like for all the listeners that don't know, I played the intro for all the guests and uh, behind the scene, I can see everyone kind of bopping their head back and forth. That's my favorite part. <laughs> it's so fun. Uh, but Eric, my man, I was super excited to have you on. We got introduced um, through one of your colleagues at Oki yeah. who was saying yeah. you'd be a great fit for the podcast, which again, she was right. So for all the listeners sake, where does your story begin in getting into hospitality and entrepreneurship? Um, for me, it comes, it's a family thing. Everyone in my family have had their own companies. My mom, my dad, my cousins, my brothers. So when I was young, it wasn't like about what, what I was going to do, about what type of entrepreneurship I was going to endeavor into, I think. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, when I was done with college, um, I think my, my, like my path to, uh, to entrepreneurship started in a, in a weird place on the, on the poker felt. So it was back in 2000. Jesus, I'm getting old, man. Like when you, when you, when you pass or pass like 33, you stop counting, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it was maybe back in 2008. And I remember it so clearly because in Sweden, I'm Swedish. In Sweden, they, they would have like this um, gift of the year for Christmas. And that year in Sweden, believe it or not, there was a poker set. Like you would give it, gift each other poker chips so you could have home games at home. And everyone was just so hooked on this game. And, and um, so, so I, me too, and one of my best friends as well. And then after like a year of playing really hardcore and everyone just stopped, like with any, any new fade, it kind of just fades out. But uh, me and my buddy, we continued playing. And for the coming like four years, we were basically professional poker players doing a lot of online tournaments, but also traveling around. We did some trips to the West Indies and a lot uh, around Europe and stuff. So that was a, a very cool way and <laughs> to throw away your high school years and everything you learned <laughs> and do something totally different, thinking you're like the kingpin of the world as you win a couple of bucks. Um, but it taught me a lot. And, uh, and throughout those five years, I was completely broke five times. And uh, <laughs> totally. And every time that I went broke, I, I went into F&B and banqueting. And I think that's maybe my link to hospitality because there I could really feel how much I truly truly enjoyed um serving other people and like being there for them and giving them a great experience 
Totally. It's like a complete opposites because you're chasing, I wouldn't say a high, so to speak, but probably a thrill, some kind of high, uh, some adrenaline rush, right? When you're playing poker to then serving food and beverage, uh, where I would say there's very little to any high or rush with that other than, you know, when you're on a huge, like crazy time schedule, maybe you're serving 300 people and, you know, you have all this like, you know, yeah. the circus kind of juggling in the background, mm -hmm. but uh, complete opposites. And so I'm curious just on the like poker lesson front, what lessons did you take from that experience going broke five times in five years uh, to then getting into hospitality? What were some big key takeaways that you really were like, I'm going to implement this into my career moving forward. And just before I get there, like the high yeah. that I still get from interacting with people is like, I don't know. I don't know how you can explain it. Like my, my, uh, my wife is like, um, uh, it's called high sen highly sensitive. So like you can really feel someone else's energy. And I think I yeah. certainly don't have it to the extent that, that people like that have it, but I have it to some extent. And I thrive on, on personal interactions, right? So yeah. the fact that you can thrive on a high or chasing a big pot or whatever, uh, it's kind of equal actually, if you have a good mm. interaction. Um, mm. But um, yeah, what, what, what I learned, I don't know. I don't know, man. I like, I was totally naive. I went into this and I just went for it. And, uh, I, I would go from having a lot of money to like nothing in like two weeks. And it was crazy. Right. I had yeah. very little respect for money. I think maybe mm. in a one, one aspect that was, that was a good thing because it taught me how to just live life and, and, and just do something without being too worried about taking myself too seriously. I think mm -hmm. starting a business, you, you should be a little bit naive. Um, <laughs> If I would ever start a company again, I don't know if I would have that same naive attitude. That is kind of a mm. beautiful thing to have because you just you just do, you know, yeah. and you make a ton of mistakes and it's totally fine. Um, now, I guess I would be a lot more hard on myself if I would be repeating those same or different types of mistakes, but you wouldn't expect it the second time around, maybe. Um, sure. And then I think another thing which definitely is similar is all the swings. So you go up and down mm. and up and down. And in entrepreneurship, anyone who, who has done that, uh, you, you yourself included, you must know, like, on any random, what is it today? A Tuesday. Yeah. I could start off the day by having someone saying, okay, we're leaving the company. And you're like, mm -hmm. oh, my God. What <laughs> worst day ever. And then, like, a huge yeah. contract comes in. And I'm like, yes. And then something yeah. else. And then it goes like that three or four times throughout the day. And you're, like, completely, uh, completely destroyed right? by the time you get home. <laughs> Hundred percent. Yeah, that's a it's a constant roller coaster, uh, to the point where like I think it's not it's shared. Like definitely, I think entrepreneurs talk about it and they they kind of express like, look, it's not easy. You know, it's a lot of ups and downs. It's not like a straight path to success. It's kind of like a you know a big roller coaster up and up and up. Um, but yeah, it's definitely I don't know. I don't even know how to put it in words. Really, it's like one day you could be thriving and the next day, like we just had Memorial day weekend. So yesterday, normally I work those days. Like I work those like yeah. government holidays that are, that are uh, technically off for a lot of people. And uh, this year was the first year like, you know what? No, I'm not doing it because you know what? No one's going to respond to my emails. No one's going to be seeing my email. No one's going to be seeing the other stuff that we're doing. So I'm not putting myself through that uh, this year where I'm just going to be like going, you know, through all this stuff. I'm just going to enjoy the day off. Uh, and then of course today we wake up and it's like, 20 phone calls, 80 emails, <laughs> all the other stuff. So, so it's like huge missed opportunities. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh gosh. But uh, Some of you know, Sweden that don't have the memorial <laughs> we can reach out. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
but so you get into food and beverage. So getting into food and beverage, doing some catering, what yeah. is the, I would guess like aha moment where you're like, all right, I'm done with poker. I'm done with that. I'm going to continue in this route. I'm going to go start my career at hospitality. And then let's talk about the, the one, what is Oki and how did it come about? Um, that will be the next phase of the, okay. of the question. Yeah. If I remember it correctly, it was pretty wild because I had like, I was 23, I think. And um, I was like, I had just gone broke and then I ended up winning a really big tournament for like uh, mm. six digits US, US dollars. Wow. And, um, and after like two months, I had nothing left of that money. Like it was crazy. <laughs> and, um, and then I just thought to myself, okay, what am I really doing here? So I, I talked to my, my older brothers because at the time I was also, you know, I was living with my friends at home in Sweden. It was love my friends to bits, but it was so uh, predictable. My life ever with everything mm. was the same. Every Tuesday we would do this every Wednesday. So I thought either I have to change my friends or I need to go somewhere else. And so I found this hotel school education in, in Holland, which was really renowned, had a great name, um, was affordable, like I could go. And uh, yeah. luckily enough, like there was this open day in Gothenburg, which is like two hours away from my hometown. So I just went on, uh, on my, in my little Seat Ibiza that I was driving, like it was stolen yeah. at the time, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and scooted over there and, uh, and got in. So it was an open day with uh, interviews and stuff uh, just mm -hmm. on the same day. And I, and I got accepted. And, and basically two weeks later, I was there with my luggage in, in, in Holland, starting this education. So it was spent wow. very quickly. And I, I think it was just what I needed, honestly. And that threw me yeah. into hospitality, which I loved. And hotel schools, I don't know. Have you been to a hotel school before? Never, never. We've talked about it a couple of times. We've you know yeah. talked about like online hotel schools and stuff, but never to the point where I'm like, actually physically there with my luggage two weeks later after applying yeah now what i loved about it compared to like a university that i would be used yeah. to like in a used university you're kind of uh you know you're just walking into a building I, I, maybe it's not comparable to like nice universities in the u.s but mm -hmm. to me it was like you're walking into a building you're you know you're, you're one of a bunch of students maybe there are some lockers and that's basically it in classrooms mm -hmm. walking into this hotel school it was so nice because they the first thing you see is like a reception lobby and there's this there are these people that are dressed up and they're treating you like you're a hotel guest and oh, that's, that's like cool. the whole thing all students working in housekeeping and beautiful fmb outlets you have amazing food that are super cheap um and you end up also sorry end up also doing this education and working in all of these outlets so i really that's loved cool. it actually and it was insanely very very international so uh, it's very hands-on it wasn't yeah. just like in paper and yeah. books and just kind of like reading and no, learning about hotels. Okay, yeah. cool. And we, we hire a lot of uh, interns from uh, hotel schools and like they may not have the best um, knowledge around like certain topics, maybe like revenue management or whatever, but they're, mm -hmm. they're the, like the best people in the industry at being hospitable, obviously, but also at presenting themselves. You can let any one of them into a room and you know that they're going to be able to, you know, they're going to behave and people are going to remember them and they're going to be liked. Yeah. That's a very, very positive strength. Yeah. There's, the, there's something on kind of like how they carry themselves. I've seen it um, with uh, interns slash students slash like brand new. When I, when I first started my career, it was a Marriott. So it was a four diamond 
uh, you know, kind of like luxury conference hotel. Um, mm. And I just remember something about when the <clears throat> like the new guy or the new girl would walk in at the front desk with their their coat and jacket. And they're, they're just kind of like a, a different way that they carry their their posture yeah. uh including myself included i was you know young and yeah. so i was like hell yeah i'm gonna look good and go <laughs> yeah, talk to all these course. people all day so like yeah so it's uh it's definitely something on how just people like their posture completely mm. changes when they get into that mm. setting um yeah. so for you what was that did you have like a crazy transition while you were at school going from like that poker mindset to oh then... man yeah 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 and and even like in sweden you're it's very common to take like gap years and i i mm. went bananas right i took a five-year poker gap year like unheard of <laughs> that wasn't i thought that was going to be my life forever you know that was my, yeah. my mindset for for many years um so then i i come i i i get to school and i realize oh uh dutch people don't take gap years so my 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 roommate's 17 and i come there as a 23 year old and like completely different humor and uh i was yeah. in a in a long relationship at the time etc so i had to really change uh, the way that i was uh in my personality to like it but that's yeah. like also a little bit who i am i can fit yeah. into many different types of settings I'm a bit like a chameleon and i can also enjoy it that way and and eventually i became super good friends with all of these people anyway and it, it was um it was a really, really great, 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 great choice for me at the time. And uh, Hotel School of Hague is the name, by the way. I really recommend it for, I would put my own kid there one day if, um, <laughs> if he wants to. Yeah, no, I love that. That's super cool. And it's, it's definitely interesting, like seeing that you came in with some world experience prior to just going from high school to hotel school, mom and dad's mm -hmm. house to, I don't know, was it like a dorm kind of like living situation or did you guys have to commute every day? What was that like? Did you live on site of the hotel school? Yeah, so then the you you live like in a kind of like a hotel. It was it was called Scoot Scotel School Hotel. Yeah, yeah. And that was also ran run by students actually, and then these um, yeah um, managers that were like basically basically teachers. Yeah. So we would live there. Uh, honestly, really, like it looked like shit, right? So, yeah, like, <laughs> it was disgust. They were like, it was, I think it was named as like the Hague's ugliest building that year or something. <laughs> they have since renovated it. I've heard. I haven't seen yeah. it myself. But honestly, do you really care when you're like, even, okay, I was 23. Most of the people were 17. A lot of the things you do is you get drunk and, <laughs> and yeah. hang out with buddies, right? So yeah, it was, uh, it was all good. It was all good. And then uh, yeah, after so the first year, I, uh, we, you, move, you move, out of, move out from the Scotel and then moved in with, with friends, basically. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. So how many years was this for you? Four, including, Four uh, including uh, one year of internships. Where the okay. first one I went to Glen Eagles. If, I, I don't know if you're American, maybe you don't know. It's a very nice golf uh, resort in Scotland. So mm -hmm. I was basically born with a golf club in my hand because all of my my, yeah, my family are entrepreneurs and they're also golfers for some reason. So yeah. uh, it was always about you know who can hit the longest drive and um, <laughs> putt the best and stuff like that in our family. Um, so I was really thrilled to get into this golf uh, resort. Um, and I also did F&B there, but F&B there was a bit different because everyone that was working there, you, you got this graveyard shift. You got the morning and then you have the, the day to do something and then you have the evening. So first mm -hmm. of all, the guest thinks that you're overworked because you're working like in their eyes, you're working all the time. Yeah. And um, from a perspective of, of being the, the employee, you're also like kind of tired in the middle of the day. So it's a weird, I don't know. 
I did. I loved being there, but I didn't really enjoy that F and B experience as much because the hours were so weird. Like you have to plan yeah. that better, in my opinion. I say I don't think humans are really made to do like those like <laughs> long night early morning stuff like we have no. nighttime and daytime for a reason we're kind of all yeah. used to to, yeah. to living but um yeah. so you're you're let's say 27 28 when you graduate um uh at the time so what what's next is that where you get into oki and what it is today or was yeah, there a different yeah. immediately so yeah, what immediately. is okay what is oki and what what did it start out to be and turn into very curious. Okay, right. Okay, right now, some would say, uh, and I would love to hear them say it, but I'll let them say it uh, that we were, were the market leader in upselling solutions towards hotels, mm -hmm. digital upselling solutions. Um, we're based out of Amsterdam. We have uh, a team in in APAC as well. We are about sixty people, uh, sixty employees in the company. We service about three thousand hotels across a hundred countries or so. Mm -hmm. um, in the U.S., we're not that big yet, but we're actually coming to high tech in Orlando at the end of June. So that's going to be super exciting. Let's well, meet uh, up there. Let's make sure, I would say let's make sure we grab a drink then yeah, because I will absolutely. see you there. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to. Love to. Love to. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Hostfully. And if you're a property manager anywhere in the country, then you definitely need to look at joining Hostfully for their property management software or their digital guidebooks. Because we all know that streamlining your operations as a property management company or a host can be super difficult and time consuming. And this is the tool that helps you take care of that and earn back time from your day and to actually have a life. So if you haven't already, go to hostfully.com, use my code slick talk 20 and make sure that you have that ready to go because it will be a game changer for you so go ahead go to the link in the show notes hostfully.com use code slick talk 20 and enjoy having some time back in your life and now back to the episode but how it started was nothing about upselling actually so i did my last internship at a mystery shopping solution in kuala lumpur and mm -hmm. I was just, I, I had as a job to get people to visit BMW stores in Scandinavia. And the only people who wants to do that for the, that little money were students. And they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even think about buying a BMW, right? So yeah. I was thinking, how in the world can there, this be such a big industry of people giving fake feedback with that is like, and then you base a bunch of marketing dollars on this, you know, to me, it was a bit wild. So we came back and I met Lars, who was one of the co-founders in KL we realized, okay, we need someone who's really savvy with data and, and analysis and stuff like this. And that became Taco, who's the third co-founder. So we're three guys who really complement each other super well. Um, and, and I flew directly from KL to Amsterdam. Lars was already there. Uh, then I just took a train to, to The Hague, uh, got my diploma. Uh, I remember Lars and Taco, my co-founders were then <laughs> in the audience and I I gave my first business card to the president of the, of the board <laughs> and I said, Here, here's Oki, I'm starting my own company now. And, and she was like, oh, that's amazing, blah, blah. <laughs> so that was cool. <laughs> and uh, I still have that uh, business card. I can see if I can find it. I can show it to the camera. Um, yeah. And then basically, we, we found an investor who was crazy enough to invest um, some money into this idea. Uh, and I, we later realized, we now realize he invested in us as People mm. think he saw some drive and something interesting, but it sure wasn't for the business plan that we presented, if I put it <laughs> like that. 
I've like tried to read that again and it's like Greek, you know, like I don't get anything <laughs> what we're trying to say. Yeah. But we but but he he basically said, okay, you wanna you wanna focus on feedback during the during the moment of of experience. Uh, why don't you do it within hotel the hotel industry? And we were just like, yeah, it makes complete sense. I have a lot of it. Yeah. I had a lot of in, interaction and knowledge and, and network. So we started off there and with the money, we, ra- we, we hired one developer and that was our first employee. And basically us as a team together with one other company, we could then build the minimum viable product. So the first thing that we could sell, and that would be our first milestone that yeah. to have someone actually pay for this. And that happened yeah. maybe eight, nine months later. There was a hotel oh, wow. chain that, that bought the okay. Yeah. Wow. So and it's evolved a lot since, right? Like you guys oh, yeah. have obviously changed. So what were, I guess, because I've had a, quite a few guests on the show that have, you know, th- they talk about the company, what it was, what the idea was, the problem they were trying to solve. But then they're mm. like, well, if you look at us today, it's completely different because mm. like you said, looking at your first business plan, it looks like Greek. So uh, it's like, obviously things change. There's probably it's not again it's not a straight path to be like okay this is the product this is what we're going to sell and it's just going to go like you're going to have a lot of uh, like changes and, and tweaks to the, yeah. the business plan so what was like the feedback either from your first clients or just from your yourselves as a team being a more aware of like okay like we're not really solving this problem but there's this bigger thing that we can solve based on what we've already built yeah um, yeah i'm curious l- l- the problem we wanted to solve obviously was right uh, a guest leaving the hotel without having his or her voice heard will leave yeah. a bad review and you can't do anything about that anymore so we wanted to uh, create this real-time interaction this was before all the otas were doing this and this was actually a thing but um once the, once we went live with hotels that were like say not mega luxury and and had like uh, you know a concierge and like a really tip top uh, service, you yeah. notice immediately that if they fail to respond to these real time interactions, it's like a double negative. And yeah. also when we try to sell this to a lot of hoteliers, they're like, hmm, not so sure I need that. I can talk to my guests. I, I know everyone by name. You know you get you get that sort of spiel. And yeah. what most people said, and this was the main trigger, was. How do I make money off of this? And mm. you're trying to like say to them, well, there's an ROI in having higher review scores. Yeah. You can you can have a higher ADR. I've seen studies about that, which is maybe proven. But honestly, like how 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 black and white is that? What is your uh, as a solution? Uh, what is your contribution to that ADR then? So we just went back to the drawing board, maybe like a year and a half in or so. And we just started doing interviews. How can we generate more revenue? And uh, we, we just went to all, all of our, all the hoteliers that we knew, probably did 40, 50 interviews. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the main thing that we understood was that there was this really interesting thing called, uh, called upselling. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and for us, what we heard back then, this was now 20, I think it was 2015 maybe. So what is that? Six, seven years ago. Yeah, yeah, just about. There was what, what, what they, what we heard, especially from the branded hotels, the Hiltons, the Marriotts, the Starwood at the time. They were saying, yeah. okay, there's only one player that does this. It's called Nor One. It's a, it's a big American company uh, that have been around forever. So they had already like started up selling like ten years prior to that. Mm-hmm. And what they always saying, like, what, what is so interesting about upselling is you have a captive audience. You know a lot about the guests that are like potentially interacting with the upsells, 
because they've already made the booking. Um, and the more data you can utilize, the more smart you can be around when to send something, how to sell it, what to sell, uh, and also have a business model behind the solution that really like um, makes it uh, interesting for hotels to upsell kind of everything and anything that there is. Uh, we were super excited about that. And, and the best thing was we could see what they, what they bought, right? So yeah. that, that was for us. Like what, once we developed just a very simple thing, buy a room upgrade, and we saw, oh my God, someone bought a room upgrade who generated $40, and we could just see 40 on that little dashboard. Yeah. We were like, okay, this is a no-brainer. So we just put a lot of effort into that. But we still, and this is maybe a big learning if there are any, any aspiring entrepreneurs out there, that yeah. would be a trigger moment immediately to just say, okay, let's go of the feedback. Let's focus on this. But we've, we've yeah. continued a good year with both of them in parallel until, and maybe this is milestone number two, we took in new investors who were from the industry, like people mm -hmm. that are pretty well known in the PMS world or that have been working with revenue management systems, et cetera. Um, and what they all said was basically, you, you have a really small team. If you're going to be good at something, you need to focus. So either mm -hmm. you, you kill the feedback or you kill the upselling, but it wouldn't make sense to kill the upselling because every one of your customers is using that and it's easy to yeah. sell, et cetera, et cetera. And the other one was only used by maybe 40% of the customer base at that point. Wow. So um, that's when we decided, okay, easy peasy, pop, pop, let's go. And for us, it was actually a very, it wasn't, it sounds easy now, but I remember that we were competing at the time with um, like CRM players. I don't need to mention any names in this podcast, yeah. but we were competing yeah. with, uh, with like CRMs that were offering, you know, cross the full guest journey solution. And for us to decide to go only in one pre-arrival upselling was going to be our thing. It felt so small that what most hoteliers were saying to us at the time was like, okay, Eric, sounds great, but honestly, we want one solution to do everything for us. Mm -hmm. And so that was why we were thinking, oh my God, we also need to be that one solution that does everything. Yeah. But it turned out that the best advice we could have ever gotten and also uh, to take to heart was to forget about that and just become best at a small thing and then, mm. uh, and then continue from there. And yeah. that, that's what, that's what, what became Oki uh, ultimately. Yeah. No, I love that. And, you know, something I wrote down is that, you know, I think it's funny as entrepreneurs and it's a common theme that I'm seeing throughout every interview and just even through our, our daily day-to-day -day life is just that you need to listen to your customers because sometimes they know your product or what your product needs to be better than you do uh, because mm -hmm. we get so tunnel vision like, okay, we need to be a review, like a management you know, focus when they're like, no, we need to make money off of this thing. This thing needs yeah. to make us money, not cost exactly. us money. And yeah. uh, I just find that very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And a question for, for you, for that 40% that was more or less on just like the review side of things, was yeah. it easy to convince them to move to the upselling solution? No, they also had upsell. They also okay, had they upsell also at the same it. time. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, was it easy for them to just move over? But if they're already using no, they it, all, then yeah. They, everybody yeah. was using upsell, but only 40% of them was using both. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, so with your, your investors giving you that advice, saying focus, you have a small team, you can't yeah. do everything for everyone. Um, what was the trajectory from there? Kind of just honing in. Did you guys put your head down for a while? Did you start making big splashes? What was kind of like, okay, if we're going to focus on this one product, this one tool that's going to make us revenue. Uh, what, what were the next steps for you guys as a, as a team? For us, it was like, 
we had to figure out personalization. That was mm. a big thing. Um, we couldn't keep sending, you know, everything to everyone. The beauty yeah. of upselling for us at the, at the outset was the personalization piece. Be able to sell the right deal to the right guest at the right time for the right price. Like that's the mantra, right? And that's what you want to, mm. that's the holy grail. So we, we, we developed that, I remember, very quickly um, a, a very powerful segmentation engine that would allow us to take all of this data from the PMS or the channel manager or what have you and then create uh, segments within that and then basically send personalized messages but also personalize the offerings that every guest would see. Um, this is very standard nowadays, but back then yeah. it was, uh, was kind of a new thing. Because even the American player, Nor One, didn't really do that much in terms of personalization at the time. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it was like, it was so nice actually, because we had gotten rid of that that uh, feedback part, and now we could just become nerds about upselling. So we just learned mm -hmm. everything. I remember studying, started to st starting to study about uh, behavioral science. Got super into that. How you can, uh, you know, use a, a lot, lot of different types of. Uh, effects or, or to, um, how do you call it like techniques basically to, yeah. to use the biases that we have in our brains um, to persuade us to do stuff stuff uh, but also it was like stuff how do you how do we optimize for room upgrades we we, we knew very quickly that um, we didn't want to be we wanted to be as self-serve as possible so that mm -hmm. hotels needed to go in and basically create deals and create content okay so how do we inspire hoteliers in terms of what they can upsell and we yeah. always had this business model where we were flat fee uh, at that time. So hotels would just sell anything and everything as long as it was legal uh, through OK, yeah. right? So yeah. uh, there were hotels that were selling goldfish to their... Uh, they, were, they were creating a funny segment, uh, lonely business travelers, like tra tra business travelers traveling alone. They would be offered a goldfish and then uh, it, like they would buy the goldfish. And then when they entered the room, there would be like a little note saying, uh, hey, Will, uh, I'm happy to keep you company for the night or something. Hope you enjoy your enjoy stay. And that, so that went viral. Someone took pictures and it went on to this children, no, not children, uh, kids' rights organization thinking, <laughs> talking about whether this was like bad for the, for the, <laughs> for the animals. Crazy. Um, yeah. And all, all that publicity was just incredible. Um, so we, we, we had a really, really exciting ride. And, and eventually we started seeing, you know, we started to become really good at it. Conversion, conversion became our thing. How do you put the right deal in front of the guests and make them buy it, right? That was, that was mm -hmm. always the, the, the thing that we were dabbling with. Um, and our team grew and we could hire more specialist roles within this. Uh, our partnerships became really significant because mm -hmm. we knew what we were talking about. We started to getting uh, invited to things. Uh, bigger customers started to gravitate towards us. We started getting uh, inbound from those that were now using Norwan. And then, yeah. and then the biggest milestone maybe, uh, there were many milestones of the career, but maybe, maybe one of the biggest ones was when um, one of the bigger hotel chains uh, in the world switched from them to us. And wow. then it was champagne <laughs> yeah. all over in the, in, in, in the, um, in the office. And that, that was a really, really cool. Um, then it really felt like, wow, you know, we came far because it was, very, mm. it was incredibly different. I remember signing up a big hotel chain versus all of those smaller ones in the beginning where the security wasn't that big of a deal. GDPR yeah. wasn't so special, you know, and then you come, it's a completely different ballgame. 
So when we had done that the first time and we successfully rolled out a lot of hotels quickly, that was uh, that was really really special. Yeah, well, it, for, it kind of forces you to uh, to kind of re up, right? Like to kind of elevate a, a little bit more of again, like some clients not worried about security, GPR, all that other stuff. But now you have like, all right, we have to know this stuff as well. So it's always yeah. good to always you know push you a little bit further. Um, I keep thinking of like the days, you know, 2018, 19 when. I was a hotel manager. Uh, granted, we were in like a small coastal town. So like it wasn't uh, very tech savvy of a hotel, but we were a condominium hotel. So like, you know, jetted tubs, fireplaces, living rooms, kitchens, all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And we had the check-in card. So you have a check-in registration paper and filing system. And of course you had MSI and all the other stuff, but uh, we never had like an upsell feature um, and so one of my big things was like, all right, we need to make more money. What's the easy low bearing fruit that we can do. Let's get yeah. someone who's in a studio or a one bedroom and get them to pay a 40, 60, 80, or even a hundred dollar upgrade, uh, yeah. because we have the inventory. So yeah. we would highlight these reg cards. I would highlight yeah. them and put a sticky note and I'd put like 60 bucks question mark or whatever. And, uh, I would tell my team and said, Hey, you know, if you see a sticky note with a highlight on the, the room type, then that's your opportunity to upsell. And yes. you should, you know, ask them what they're in town for. You need to do all like the psychology side, like become their best yes. friends, you know, maybe kiss some ass a little bit like this kind of where yeah. it, it kind of got into. But uh, I remember seeing like a month over month, we would do, you know, a lot better with revenue, not just on uh, ADR, but our, our mm-hmm. upsells. Um, but I always think about if I had Oki or if I had the approval or the access to Oki at that time, would we have you know tripled quadrupled our numbers because you know we're human we can't catch everything when you're trying to upsell somebody but the maintenance is calling you on the radio and then you have the front desk phone ringing and then you have housekeeping carts rolling by or whatever or just people in the lobby you know it's just bound to happen that you have missed multiple opportunities to kind of do that um so i always think about that because like especially now knowing okay i'm like man, this would have been, you know, so perfect. I would have been, you know, put on a pedestal at my uh, hotel job with my GM or whatever and just be like, oh, you got, you know, you know, $100,000 in upsells. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But yeah, no, it's just it's, yeah. yeah the, the most one hotel ever did was uh, like $85,000 in a month or something. Jeez. And that's only that's pre-rival nice. upselling, only pre-rival. Wow. But uh, the, the truth is, right, you have to just look at it from your guest perspective. That's always yeah. how I think about upselling. So um, some guests, they like the personal interaction. They would probably yeah. prefer to be upsold at the front desk. But you also obviously have a lot of guests which are the other way around, that they don't yeah. like to be stressed when they are checking in and they love to do things at their own convenience. Yeah. And if I was a hotelier, I would absolutely offer both. Um, uh we see that interestingly, there is no cannibalization of the front desk upselling by having pre-arrival upselling. Mm. So you're you're either attracting a different crowd, but you, we also see that the people that are willing to buy something pre-stay, if you have a very active uh, like front desk team, they can then pick up on that and say, "Hey, Will, we saw that you you upgraded to a deluxe room um, yeah. with our pre-stay email. You know what? There is a suite available." For only fifty dollars more, and then it mm. turns out that you you're more prone to buy more if you bought pre-stay. So those yeah. guests are actually just because you're you're willing to spend more money, I, I think. For so sure. there's there are some definitely some interesting links. The hotels I think that are that are doing this the best way, they're probably generating equal amounts. 
in stay and uh, and, and pre stay, but it completely mm -hmm. varies, of course, depending on type of property and segments and stuff like that. But it's really it's really interesting and. It is definitely, it's like our vision is to be the one central upsell platform that can hold all of the content and all of the inventory and all of the pricing, et cetera, and, and, and the understanding of what to sell to whom, and then act kind of like an internal channel manager. So you say, okay, these mm -hmm. deals get, get sold in the booking engine. These deals get sold pre-stay. These deals will get sold upon a check-in, and, and these deals will, will be offered when the guest is in stay, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the next kind of step for us to take it out across the guest, full guest journey. So we're launching some uh, some really really cool things around that this year. I love that. I'll probably mm -hmm. learn more at high tech. So that'd be cool. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, the the psychology side of it. I know you and I. You kind of talked about the, like the passion of like what goes into the thinking, the brain like activity yeah. of an upsell, right? So mm -hmm. for you guys, have you hired like? psychologists or any kind of like have you gone down that route of the deeper meaning of like why people like how to capture like because it's easy to say i think as hoteliers or even um you know in the short-term rental world where we're talking about how are you going to generate more revenue for your business outside mm. of the nightly rate and that's of course it's pre-arrival this in-stay all that good stuff but you know for for us to say the right guests at the right place at the right time at the right price yeah easy but what is that like what does that look like on the back end how do you know the signals of being the right place or the right person like what are the giveaways like have you guys gone down that rabbit hole of you know what to look for what not to look for what's uh what's the easy what's a hard one uh whatever it may be like do you guys have like a gauge on that yeah so uh, I, I can give you a couple of examples i just had to bring up one one uh, presentation that i that i did a while back which is so so amazing Okay, so so basically, it starts with um, it starts with a story, like because you're you're asking me, are we doing a lot of this research ourselves? Well, actually, there has been loads of research done already, so mm. you can you can put into practice what has been done. That would be my advice number one, and buy yeah. a book like um, uh, Predictably Irrational by Dan O'Reilly or something. There we and, go. And and then just read that book, and then you'll be inspired with a bunch of bunch of stuff. That, yeah. that would be my like low hanging fruit. But one, one really interesting thing that I think is mentioned in this book is uh, a research about judges. So it's called decision-making fatigue. So, yeah. so basically what, what the idea is, is if you're taking too many decisions in a short succession of time, you're going to be super tired. And, and then at some point you're just going to say, yeah, okay, fine, because you're tired of making that decision. So they, 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 they researched this with judges somewhere in the States. And when they, when they basically sit there in the early morning, Every, um, uh, what's it called? Um, when you're in jail, you're, if, uh, when you're, when you're in jail, what's it called that you are? You're a prisoner. A prisoner. Uh, prisoner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every prisoner that would appear in front of them in the morning would never, ever get parole. But like <laughs> the closer and closer, uh, that you get to lunch, the more tired mm. the judges are and the more the parole they give. And then they go to lunch, they come back, they have reset their, their energy and nobody's getting parole. And then it goes up again. And, mm. and um, it's super interesting, right? So it turns out that, that you're, um, you're basically more willing to take hard decisions uh, in the morning or right after lunch. And, and we did, uh, here's, here's the link with the, with the upselling part. So we did a research uh, some, while, some time ago looking at when is the best <laughs> time of the day to upsell. So we, 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 we A-B tested leisure guests versus business. 
And can you guess what, what time of the day is best to upsell to a leisure traveler? Uh, I wouldn't say morning, probably because they're just probably frantic. They're trying to get on their vacation. But I would say maybe afternoon. They're probably more relaxed. They are closer to the destination. Uh, they're already thinking of themselves on the beach or wherever they're going to be. So I'm assuming afternoon for the leisure. Okay. I'd be totally uh, wrong. Yeah, you are. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's like... We, we tried like uh, morning, uh, after lunch, and afternoon, and it turns out that morning has the highest conversion rate for mm. for leisure travelers. But conversely, um, oh no, sorry, I'm reading it wrong. Business guests has the highest conversion rate in the morning, and okay. conversely, le leisure guests has it has the co highest conversion rate in the afternoon. You have to cut yes. that cut that away, <laughs> or just keep it. Uh, now, so th so that that's that's a really interesting one in terms of time of day of upselling. It's, yeah. it's based on a bias where you're where you're more likely to make decisions. Like basically, you should you should try to offer something when someone is a little bit tired, basically, because then you have yeah. a higher chance of making success. The other one is choice overload, of course. How much upsell offers should you offer? There was like yeah. um, a research done where you, where they presented twenty four types of jam in the supermarket versus six types, and having six types of jam was was uh, yielding like three hundred percent more revenue or something. Okay. Um, and we also analyzed that and we found out that if you offer uh, room upgrades, early check-in, late checkout, parking, room attributes and, and F&B offers resulting in somewhere around like a 10 different types of deals, including yeah. all the room upgrade offers, uh, then you have the optimal like amount of, of deals that to, to present to any given segment to maximize conversion yeah. rate. So, so don't do awesome. just one. Don't just be like, hey, no, here's no, no, an no, upgrade. No. Okay. No. So definitely a, a good wide range. Yeah, absolutely. The the yeah. at least pre-stay. But uh, let's say you're um, you have a hotel maybe, and and it's like very very last minute, and you want to send a text message maybe instead of an email because it converts higher. Then that would be the only time when when we've seen that it's more successful to maybe have it hyper relevant and say, hey, do you want to have an early check-in because you're arriving in an early flight or or whatever that may be. Um, and also, of course, when you're standing at the front desk, that it wouldn't make sense to just say, you want this, you want this, you want this. Yeah. So you need to be quite relevant there as well. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the list goes on. There's a, I, I love the part about, have you heard about the decoy effect? The decoy effect? No. I, it sounds something like you could probably guess, but I would love to hear it. Yeah. So basically, yeah. it's like it, the example is from, um, is from a cinema where you have you're standing and you want to you want to buy popcorn. So there's mm -hmm. a three dollar popcorn uh, and a seven dollar popcorn, which is way bigger. Mm -hmm. And the, the, when you see those next to each other, the seven dollar looks super expensive. And now mm -hmm. you introduce a middle one, which costs six and a half dollars, and mm -hmm. which is a lot smaller than the seven dollar. And all of a sudden, mm -hmm. the seven dollar looks like it's super valuable, and the sales skyrocket there. So that's also something that you can use in upselling. You can say there's a three course dinner and a five course dinner and a five course dinner with something extra. And then actually they have exactly the same price, but there's a decoy that makes that deal look way more appealing. Like we have this all the time. If you buy your Mac MacBook or whatever yeah. on, on Apple's website, like every website that you see has this. And what the interesting thing is when you talk about behavioral science, you're very quickly thrown into like this ethical dilemma. Am I mm. fooling my guests? Because as hoteliers, mm. I'm going to say we, because I've, I've also been working in hotels. Um, mm -hmm. you want to be there for your guests, right? You're very thankful 100%. that they're coming. 
at the same time, you want to squeeze as much money out of it as you can. <laughs> yeah. So where is the ethical dilemma? Well, I, I personally don't have a problem with this because whatever we're buying online, we are being like attacked by all of these things and like only two mm -hmm. rooms left, et cetera, et cetera. So, but um, as like, there, this is just the way that marketing works. And if I was yeah. a, a hotelier, I would be very interested in this because there's, there's some quick wins that you can do for sure. For sure. Well, it's probably not a great example, exactly like the popcorn one that you gave, but uh, I always think of, you know, my friends and I talk about the Costco chicken, the rotisserie chicken that Costco does. It's okay. the stupid, like, it's like, it's a really good chicken and it's like hot, ready to go. You take it home, like you can eat that sucker right away. And it's, it's pretty decent size. Um, but it's like, it's like 350 or something really cheap. And we're like, what the hell? This is like crazy. How are we getting chicken for 350? Really like tastes really good. It's big yeah. enough to feed a family, all this stuff. And then like we heard all these stories and like there's a bunch of apparent like research or quotes from the Costco uh, CEOs and all this other stuff saying that they lose money on this chicken because it's a it's a it's kind of like a oh my gosh this is such a great deal it's stupid of me not to do it but then you get it and then you're shopping and you think you just stole from costco basically <laughs> uh and then you of course you go spend five hundred dollars on on the rest oh, of your groceries some, some so it's crap like that you don't really need 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. so it's like mm. it's not the best example but it's still i always think about that like okay yeah, if cool. costco can get you in with a, a three to fifty dollars you know three dollars and fifty cent chicken um yeah. like it's a rotisserie chicken it's it's if you haven't had Eric, like when you come to Florida, go to Costco, get it for yourself. Costco. It's amazing. I'll bring it to high tech. Uh, but it's gonna, <laughs> like, it's so, it's so damn good. And you're like, oh man, yes. they're, they're, they're losing on this. But at the yeah. end of the day, they're actually winning because you're like, ah, oh, I got this chicken yeah. really cheap, but you just yeah. spent a thousand dollars on the rest of your food. So yeah. it's like, it's kind of, you know, working. I think it's interesting to go into like the ethical dilemma, like you're talking about, because we are a consumer you know creature i guess like we're creatures of habit that we like to consume there's a small mm. percentage of us that like to produce and like to you know create uh consumables but i think as like a as an overall society mm. like we're very used to being sold to um we're very like you go on facebook and you talk about let's say you're talking about a peloton with your friends or your wife or whatever and then you go through facebook and then you see a peloton ad like yeah, we're just right. we're just yeah. used to it, um, mm. so I I think you guys are you shouldn't have to worry about the ethical side. Like it's, no, it's there. It's, I I, yeah. I, I, no, I I I'm not worried about it. But it's just interesting that it comes up when you speak to some hoteliers yeah. about this. It's never a roadblock, but it's just an interesting uh, thing mm. to think about. I think it's because behavioral science is so prominent in everything that we buy online, but it's not prominent yeah. in the hotel industry yet. Uh, yeah. And I don't see why not, because you, you, you can do so much. But uh, just to get back on that, in my opinion, upselling should always be like when, when we started upselling. I remember there was like some some in some places it was a bad connotation. Upselling yeah. is like you're forcing someone to buy something more that they don't really want. And it's like cumbersome yeah. and all that. And for me, like upselling should be listening to what your guest wants and it, it ideally in a proactive manner being able to offer what they want for the right price and a super smooth experience to add that to their yeah. stay uh, yeah. multiple stages around the guest journey um, and just basically extend that offline service to a digital amazing experience across the full uh, all of the touch points uh, that's a real win-win and then you're driving revenue not because you're greedy and you're only trying to sell 
high profit margin deals, but you're actually offering yeah. all types of services and offers that, that you can, that you would like uh, and think that your guests find relevant. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, it's, it's, a, it's a beauty of it. It's, a, it's an art in, in doing it the right way, I think. 100%. And I, I think the, the, the beauty and the art aspect is really true because it's, if you look like pre COVID, right? Like pre COVID, uh, you know, a lot of people just weren't, you know, they were so used to this check-in front desk experience, right? Like I have to go into a line or just immediately if, you know, if it's a slow day at the hotel, they just go check in get their key cards. Now I think hoteliers and even vacation rental, like, it's just cause I have to like bring both sides for, for our audience sake. But um, now guests are really expecting the opportunity to choose how they experience the property, whether it's checking in in person or getting a mobile key card or, you know, pin number for their, their code and never seeing a human at all. Like just getting there, parking their car, taking out their stuff, going to the room. They want mm -hmm. that flexibility, that opportunity to choose that. And I think like kind of what you're talking about, the art of being able to sell and create this other, you know, extra revenue outside the nightly rate is giving that enhancement of like letting them choose how they want to experience your property. Do they, you know, if I'm on a business trip, I'm more likely not going to upgrade to a suite, but I'll definitely like do any type of upgrade when it comes to food and beverage and the other types of things I'm going to need or want or parking. But if I'm there like with my significant other, uh, am I going to want that upgrade mm. and the food and beverage and, 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 and probably mm. because I want to make the cool memories and I want to choose how we can experience that. And I don't want to be sold to like I'm at a car, uh, you know, car dealership. Um, yeah, so you, I you think know, talking about that, like one of yeah. the coolest deals we ever sold was from a hard rock hotel in the Maldives. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was called, um, it was called, what was it called? Um, something with a diamond. So it was basically, they had a huge segment of people coming there to surprise, uh, uh, get engaged. Yeah. And so they, they, they then reached out to the booker via Oki and say like, uh, surprise her with a diamond or something. And it was a yeah. crazy deal. It was like $2,500 when you like Dang. all the whole package, like, they had the, the 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 ring arranged. They had like people playing violin on the beach and like this beautiful little thing, like the whole thing. And they just took away all that stress. And 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 this was actually bought by 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 people who now wanted to uh, to to um, what's it called when you get engaged? Like you're asking the question. I blank the proposal. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was so cool. That that for me it was just like mind blown with the creativity. And it's just there listening to what your guests want. That's really cool. 100%. So, so if I ever get to that point in my life where I'm ready to propose, I'm definitely going to go to the hard rock. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to take that stress off of me because uh, <laughs> I already know myself. I'll probably be sweating just thinking about it. But uh, that's, that's yeah, super cool. Nervous moment doing that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Eric, I, I really enjoyed the conversation and I just think what you guys are doing is super cool. Obviously, uh, leaders in the space, you know, in and out of upselling. Um, obviously like out, outside of pulling out a presentation you know it like the back of your hand so i think it's really it's just super cool to hear your story and for for the listeners out there i'm sure uh, you know this is a, a topic upselling again whether it's hotels or vacation rentals i know this is something that i don't think is touched on enough um, mm -hmm. because i think if you can get your business or your operations to the point of being smooth not having to put out as many fires every day right like 
guests get their check-in information. They get this, they get that. Like they don't need to have a lot of questions, right? You don't need to spend a lot of time putting out fires. I think you can spend more time being creative with your team and your operations. I'm like, all right, now what can we do to make this really special? What can Mm -hmm. we do to create this opportunity? Um, And I think upselling slash experiences and creativity like that is super untapped still to this day so it's going to be very fun to in 2023 or 24 or 25 whenever you and i revisit and kind of see the yeah that would be amazing yeah it'll be it'll that be, awesome. be really amazing so. and i and i have to say like coming out of covid i, I feel like there's so much momentum right now it's, it's incredible i feel in, i feel really 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 positive positive and optimistic about the business but also about the the, the industry and um 100%. That that's gonna be super cool. I would love to do another episode for sure. Let's see. Perfect. Maybe we're in the maybe we're in vacation rentals by then. That would be amazing. <laughs> hey, we'll get you in. I'll, I'll make some introductions. We'll get it. We'll get it going. No, <laughs> uh, uh, it's super good. So for my my famous last question for all the the listeners that listen to the show regularly, uh, to our guests is if you had one link, which we're not gonna do, we're gonna of course you know plug everything Oki and you uh, in the show notes. But if you had one link specifically that you wanted the listeners to go to, whether it could be anything, it could be Oki related, it could be a book, it could be a, you know, um, a documentary, whatever. I've had uh, crazy responses on, on that side of things. So it could be any link, but what would be the number one that you would want anyone to go to who's listening to the episode today? What a good question. Um, I would send them the, uh, why don't we do it on the theme based on today then? But but is it is it actually a link that you're gonna put in or can I just yeah it'll be it'll, be it'll be it'll be in the be show notes where they can Google it yeah yeah okay cool cool but th- then then let's let's put a link with uh, with Dan O'Reilly talking at um, TEDx about behavioral science and and some of these uh, things that we've been talking about today that would be perfect cool. yeah I'll pull that up. So all the listeners out there, check out that link. Check out all the other links that we're going to have in the show notes. Eric, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And everyone, we will see you all again next week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoy the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. In hotels and vacation rentals, the top complaints or issues are noise, garbage, and parking. I may not be able to solve all of your parking and garbage problems, but I could definitely help with your noise problems. And that actually might just help your garbage and parking problems too. So NoiseAware is the only 100% privacy safe noise monitoring solution that property managers and owners can use in order to ensure they avoid parties and other issues happening at their property. You won't get notified when a plate breaks, But if you have a little quiet get-together that kind of gets out of hand, like this, then NoiseAware will give you the peace of mind to ensure that you and your property, and of course, your profits, are protected. So use my code SLICKTALK20 to get 20% off of all 
noise monitoring devices and focus on the other important things that help you run your business. Now, thank you for checking out Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Get back to the episode. Don't forget to check out NoiseAware while you're listening.